Good evening and welcome to the Locked On Winnipeg Jets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Harrison Lee, an avid Winnipeg Jets fan and an online blogger. You can follow me on Twitter at HLLivingLoco and follow our podcast Twitter at LO underscore Winnipeg Jets. As always, be sure to follow and subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform of choice, including Apple, Spotify, Google, and the Megaphone app. Subscribing is free and keeps you up to date on the latest and greatest in Winnipeg Jets news and analysis. On tonight's show, we're going to be talking about some trade deadline madness that has been ongoing for the past several hours, including uh, an actual NHL trade and then some free agent deals. And then we're going to talk about the travesty that was the Winnipeg Jets game against the Buffalo Sabres, which frankly, I don't want to talk about. I would love to just agree to forget about it, but that's not really how it works. So if your eyes did not take in the wonderful sights and sounds of watching Winnipeg get embarrassed by the Sabres, then, well, have I got a surprise for you, because you're going to get to hear about just how bad it was. But before we get into the grimy unpleasantness of Winnipeg Jets hockey that continues to disappoint in some way after giving me so much hope, we're going to recover and try and take a look at some of the fun NHL trade deadline stuff that occurred today. Let's get the big one out of the way. I guess if you can call it big. Ilya Kovalchuk is now a cap for the price of a third-round draft pick, I believe, from this year. On a list of very strange things from the weirdest timeline possible that I did not anticipate, I'd have to say that Kovalchuk becoming a cap, I guess Ilya Kapolchuk? I don't know know if I can make anything fun out of that. We'll just ignore it. Uh, Forget I tried to make a pun attempt. Um, Kovalchuk becoming a cap is kind of one of the weirdest things that I did not anticipate. The caps have been pretty bad recently, so... As far as, like, novelty value is concerned, paying a third for a guy who I think they have salary retained on, so he's technically 75 k or so in actual salary, is about as good as you can do, I guess. Ilya is not exactly in his prime anymore, and I feel like if you had any interest in the Atlanta Thrashers, then this sort of weird franchise history is kind of going to be a little bit funny to see, especially because there's a chance that he plays against the Jets on Tuesday. I... I'm still kind of processing it. I mean, like, it feels like Washington always gets a lot of the uh, the world's best Russians. I mean, Sergei Fedorov at one point. Now they've got Ovechkin. They'll have Kovalchuk, Dmitry Orlov, uh, Ilya Samsonov. I mean, they might as well do, like, a, a Team Russia of the past 10 years gold medal reunion tour or something. Get all the guys who are in retirement and bring them out for this NHL team. That'd be really funny to see. I wonder what Simon is up to these days. Probably, uh, I think he was getting his degree and then playing in the KHL or something like that. Maybe they can bring him back for a one-year contract or something like that. Something a little crazy just to bring the whole gang back together. This move is kind of funny because the Caps are also thinking about, I think Mike Green was rumored to be linked to the Caps, which would be a very interesting move in my opinion. I think Green is still serviceable as like a third-pairing defenseman, but not much more than that. I guess going back in time to rebuild your Caps dream team of like 2010 is definitely a strategy, but I mean, Washington at this point is looking for some kind of spark after the uh, past few weeks have not been so kind to them. I mean, hey, they've they've already won a cup, I guess they might as well try whatever comes to mind, but I, I don't know, man, the Caps are doing some weird things. It's kind of funny to watch, actually. It's just very strange and not really what I would anticipate from someone like um, Brian McClellan and the Caps. Speaking of unexpected, Zach Bogosian's contract was terminated, and he is now a free agent, or at least was until he signed an agreement with the Tampa Bay Lightning. For some reason, Tampa Bay is really interested in very tall, big defensemen who are basically pylons and don't really offer much except physicality and a perceived offensive advantage, but hey, more power to the Lightning. Their team forwards just tend to dominate everything else, so I guess you don't really have to worry about your defensemen. That said, I mean, you know, 
Tampa Bay basically has half a defense right now, which, hey, we're all familiar with that as Jets fans, aren't we? But they don't actually have many rostered bodies available to play NHL games. So in a lot of ways, this is mostly just an insurance move. If it's more than an insurance move, that'd be really funny. The Lightning have basically ascended the top and peak of of hockey. So at this point, whatever they do is basically insurance moves. I don't know that they can actually get better. They picked up Blake Coleman, and I feel like that's... If you're going to get a a rental guy, that's pretty much as good as it's going to get. I think Coleman has another year on his contract. I can't remember, but he's like a a legitimate top six forward who makes perfect sense as an elite third liner that can carry all, all situations, even strength, penalty kill, power play, whatever you want from him, he can do. Bogosian is more of a, we don't have any other options and we need guys who are NHL ready to play. So on that note, I can kind of understand it. I think for the rest of the trade deadline, we're not going to see anything too crazy. For what the Winnipeg Jets could do, I honestly don't know. I mean, I look at this team and I kind of think, well, you know, they're kind of disappointing and there's not really much that you can get on the trade market that's going to immediately change Winnipeg's fortunes. That doesn't mean, in my opinion, that that they should just sit out the market. I think that they need to find a top four defenseman of some sort, preferably somebody who can play, uh, you know, second pairing or first pairing minutes reasonably well alongside Morrissey. And, you know, obviously the Jets' D is already pretty poor as it is, and they only got one guy so far, who's Dylan DeMello. This team needs more than one guy to help bolster the back line because injuries keep ravaging the guys who are already there, and it usually targets some of our best players. So, not really an ideal situation. And, you know, even at full strength, this team is still pretty bad. What I'm not sure how to fix is Winnipeg's lack of an elite second-line center. I think Kopp has done about as well as you can expect from him. I think he's been pretty decent, but I think Kyle Connor is kind of dragging the rest of that line down. Every now and then, Liney will have a bad game too, and Cop really can't be expected to haul those guys around. Liney can take care of himself and even drives play a lot of the time, but Connor is sort of somebody who needs to be chaperoned. That's going to be sort of an issue if you've got a guy like Cop, who's really an expert in creating space and forechecking, and has defensive duties, but if he's not allowed to do anything else where he has to constantly babysit uh, a guy like Connor all the time, I don't think that that's really the most ideal way to do things. This team is definitely missing Adam Lowry, and it's not like Lowry would be a real change on Cop either. I think either of those guys are going to have the same net impact. Cop has better hands in offense, but Lowry is still, of course, an elite four-checker and physical presence. I'm just not sure where exactly a second-line center is going to come from unless the Jets trade for one, and there aren't really many options that would help the Jets reach the playoffs, or even if they make the playoffs, get particularly far, especially on the market. In a lot of ways, I feel like this team just kind of makes me shrug, and I don't really have a a stronger reaction or feeling than that, and that's kind of a problem. I think Winnipeg needs to do more to inspire us and give us something to latch onto, but obviously wasting assets at the trade deadline is not going to make me feel any better about this team. Be prepared to spend, but don't waste assets, because at that point, I just get mad more than anything. Guess it's time to talk about uh, the Sabres game, huh? I'm going to be real blunt. I think Winnipeg was quite honestly miserable, and I feel like in a team that has to win almost every game going forward that it can and put forth a good cohesive 60 minutes of gameplay each and every game, Winnipeg legit did not show up for most of this evening, and I was really disappointed by this effort. After a pretty tough game yesterday against the Flyers, I thought, well, you know, they've got a chance to rebound against the Sabres. Instead, Winnipeg basically just crapped the bed and embarrassed us on 
live TV, and I, I don't really know how to feel about this game. I felt like the first period was very mediocre, much like the rest of the game. The Jets did create some scoring chances, but their defensive structure and awareness was just atrocious, man. Right before the game started, it was announced that Josh Morrissey was sitting it out with an upper body injury, which is, of course, not great. But then they put in Anthony Boteto as his replacement, to which Maurice said that for some reason Boteto was his seventh D when yesterday it was Sami Niku who was a seventh. And of course, no sooner is Boteto inserted into the lineup than, you know, somebody slaps a shot off of his leg and it rebounds right to Kyle Lakposa, who puts it in the net. So, freaking awesome, guys. Really awesome hockey. I, I'm just kind of, I don't know, I don't know if it's apathy or frustration or anger. I'm not really sure what I feel with this team. All I know is that the Jets are really bad. I regret being hopeful for like two or three weeks where I thought, well, maybe they might squeak into the playoffs and play competent hockey. It's entirely possible that they still do make the postseason, but man, does this team suck butt, dude. Seriously, the Jets have just been so bad over the past couple of games. And like, there are sustained moments of greatness. Like, the the game against the Flyers, I thought, was a little bit better than the scoreline looked. But these things are all relative. And then you bring in a guy like Cody Eakin to help strengthen what, exactly? The depth down the middle? Eakin wasn't really useful at all today. And then the other guys who were struggling included Connor, Line A, Cop. That entire line got devastated. And then Ehlers has, like, one bad game and he gets demoted to the third line. Now, granted, Harkins getting moved up to the top line actually did yield a pretty decent assist on a Blake Wheeler goal, but Ehlers has been one of our best forwards this entire season, and he's the one that gets singled out both in comments and in the ice time. I think I'm just baffled by this team. I, I really don't understand what exactly Winnipeg is going for, because if they want to make the playoffs, then an effort like today is just pathetic. No one really wanted to address the issue, which is the fact that the lineups weren't particularly optimal, the team, you know, roster is in bad shape, the Jets don't have a real defense, and the guys that were put into the lineup did not produce all that much. We lost to frickin' Kyle Ocposo on a two-goal night, and that was it. That's all she wrote. And all I can say is, if you give up two goals to Kyle Ocposo in the year 2020, your team just sucks. I'm sorry, there's no other way to put it. Akposo at one point was a great player, and I'm very fond of him, but I think it's very obvious that at this point in his career, he's at the tail end of his contract and not really playing particularly great hockey for the Sabres. For him to have two goals against the Jets, while Winnipeg isn't really able to create much outside of the Wheeler goal, I don't know, man. I just, <laughs> I'm kind of done. I don't know what else to think. I feel like this was a must-show weekend where the Jets at least got two points, and they didn't muster a single one. A 6-3 and three record is, you know, pretty livable, or, you know, 5-2-2, yeah, I guess, would be the, the record if they had two overtime losses. I could I could live with that. That's fine. But the Jets are now 5-4 and four in their last nine games. Most of the teams that they've played are below the playoff line, and yet that's, that's as best as we got from the Jets, which is, quite frankly, very depressing. I felt like we deserved better, and we didn't get that at all. Wheeler had some half-butted excuse about, I don't know, this team being young or something. Like, how many times are we going to point to the youth being the problem on this team? When is there going to be accountability for the veterans not performing up to, up to par? Continually with this team, the guys who are paid the most money are not really doing any of the work for the... And it's just, it's mind-blowing to me that the guys who are supposed to be our breadwinners aren't really putting in the effort to make sure that everything is going according to plan. You know, on that first Stockposo goal, Dylan DeMello got hung out to dry by both Mark Shifley and Nate Beaulieu, neither of whose seemed to 
recognize the fact that you're supposed to back check. I think Bolu was just caught out of position, but Shifley is literally staring at the puck carrier right before he scores, and that to me is just unbelievable. In any other sport, in any other league, you get punished for being lazy. Your your star players not putting in the effort to back check or even try to disrupt the play gets punished, and rightly so. It's all about putting in the hard work and making sure that you get results. Shifley just sort of glided through and didn't really bother to pressure the puck carrier, and I, for the life of me, don't understand why. When you have a chance to even make a play, even if you have to hook the guy and take a penalty, whatever. It's going to be a goal anyways if you let him go, and that's exactly what happened. I'm just mystified as to where this desire to make the playoffs is coming from, because it's surely not coming from all the players. I didn't feel any sense of urgency or energy from the squad, a team that should frankly be desperate and fighting for its life considering the fact that everyone else that needed to get points got points over the past two days. The Jets just came out incredibly stagnant and boring against the Sabres, and that's really embarrassing because the Sabres are a team that's looking at a lotto pick and probably needing to fire everyone on that staff. Maybe that's just our lot, though, to be, you know, a barely above 500 squad that continues to put on decent performances here and there, and then the rest of it just craps everything else up. If I sound angry and ranting, it's because I am very frustrated, and I feel like beneath all of this garbage is a pretty decent, fun team. We saw that against teams like the Blues and Carolina, where the Jets actually played decent hockey, even if the scoreline didn't reflect it. That the Jets can't seem to string together more than, like, two or three games at a time of of a competent 60 minutes is just baffling to me. And, you know, what was the reward for the Jets being so mediocre and crappy is three more years of a contract extension for a coach who hasn't proven that he's really the guy to get us to a cup final? I mean, what exactly are we rewarding here? I get organizational loyalty. I get being, you know, loyal to the person that you consider your guy to lead your team. But at some point, results have to pay up. And and sure, Winnipeg got to a, a conference final a couple of years ago against the Vegas Golden Knights. But then we lost. The Jets were okay in that series and kind of let down by goaltending, but at the end of the day, what else has Maurice really accomplished in this tenure? We've made the playoffs two other times, one of which was a first-round sweep and the other which was um, a loss to the St. Louis Blues, and sure, they did go on to win the Cup, and that's always going to be the narrative. But really, Winnipeg just disappointed with all the talent at its disposal and, and basically shot itself in the foot numerous times. So if you ask me, I just feel like Winnipeg is is trying to find excuses for the fact that it's not been that great of a team. They need to take a long look in the mirror tomorrow and ask themselves what exactly is it that they want to accomplish this season, because if it's making the playoffs and making noise in this postseason, they're well off track for that. What is well on track is the success of those who partner with Locked On Advertising Podcasts for advertising opportunities. If you've been a listener of this podcast, I'm sure you've heard about all of the great advertisers currently working with the Locked On Sports Network. What you may not know, though, is that Locked On Winnipeg Jets is a great way for your local business to reach passionate Winnipeg Jets fans who are just like you. Unlike any other podcast, Locked On gives your local company the unique ability to reach Jets fans in your area on a routine basis. Locked On fans aren't just any podcast listeners. They're passionate, driven, and fiercely loyal to their team. If your company wants to connect to Jets fans who are predominantly male, well-educated, and with disposable income, then please feel free to drop us a line at Locked On Podcasts. Local fans love supporting local businesses, and we love supporting you. Text the word advertising to 33777 or visit LockedOnPodcasts.com slash advertising and shoot us a message. Our team will work with you step-by-step to achieve the greatest level of Locked On advertising success. Once again, that's the word advertising to 33777 or visit LockedOnPodcasts.com slash advertising. We look forward to hearing from you soon. Are there any particular positives to take away from Winnipeg's drubbing over the past couple of days? 
I suppose one could say that Janssen Harkins being really good and possibly a top six forward might be one of the bigger surprises. I felt like Harkins deserved a, a top six shot, though I don't think demoting Ehlers to do it is probably the way that I would have gone about it. But, I mean, you can't blame Harkins for getting the promotion. It's basically all on Maurice at this point. That said, I thought that he looked great alongside Mark Shifley and Blake Wheeler. Those two have frankly been unacceptably poor in my opinion, and it's clear that they need a play driver with some physicality and defensive responsibility to pair with them because those guys just don't seem to back check at all. I know like, it probably feels like I'm railing against Shifley and Wheeler here, but they make so much money and they're being cast as part of this major core, and yet I feel like the effort that they've put in and the results that we're getting from them are just not good enough. When a dude that the Jets literally recalled like a month ago from the Moose top line comes onto your first line and immediately outshines you in almost every respect, I feel like you have to question your work ethic and integrity. This is nothing to diminish Harkins' skill, but I think we all know that Mark Shifley and Blake Wheeler are supposed to be elite forwards at this level of hockey, and yet Jensen Harkins, who's probably a good middle six winger, made them look like they weren't really putting in much of an effort at all. It's not like Shifley and Wheeler were atrocious today, but they definitely weren't on the level of a guy like Harkins. I mean, Janssen was basically carrying that line and carrying whatever line he was on throughout the whole game. That is kind of worrying because you really don't want a guy who's supposed to be like a consummate middle six winger, capable as he may be, you don't want him to outshine your most star veteran players. I guess Dylan DeMello was also pretty decent. I think that DeMello got exposed on the one goal because his teammates basically fled the coverages and didn't bother to help him out. I thought on a variety of other sequences, though, his reads were very nice. He made clean passes. His uh, defensive coverage on, on cutting down lanes and man marking were both clean. I thought that he was just very capable in doing everything that he's been asked to with a pretty good, uh, pretty good head on his shoulders. He's the kind of guy I'm very comfortable offering a contract for three years to, and hopefully Maurice gets him off that bottom pairing because it's clear that he's capable of more. Why he sat through that whole third pairing deployment while, you know, Morrissey is out for the foreseeable future is just baffling to me. DeMello is probably our best defenseman not named Dmitry Kulikov right now, and that means that he should get top pairing time. No, it's not ideal. No, I wouldn't be doing this under normal circumstances, but the Jets don't have any other choices. And yet, here they are again, continually putting him on the third pairing, just like they did with Kevin Hayes when he was here, another great rental that got wasted. And I'm just left to wonder what exactly the Jets intend to do. You know, if, if, if winning is their priority, then why aren't they making the moves to win like they need to? Paul Maurice basically runs everything, and he said time and time again that doing stuff like Kyle Connor being on the penalty kill he thinks is the best option. Meanwhile, I'm sitting there watching Kyle Connor and wondering who on earth thinks that this dude can handle any sort of zone defense, especially in an odd man situation, at all. The guy is basically a one-dimensional goal scorer and a poacher, and yet Paul Maurice thinks that he's some versatile, multi-dimensional PK threat. Oh, yeah, he's got he's got a pretty good set of wheels and he can score shorthanded goals, but that's when he's not conceding a ton of scoring chances against. Maurice's evaluation of the way that he looks at his players and how he uses them especially in high-leverage situations, is always just baffling to me. I feel like, as an NHL coach, his results are so mixed that I can't understand why people adore him. I mean, I, I get it. He says the right things. 
He has a, a no-nonsense, hard work ethic. He's very soft-spoken, at least with the media, but he's got a, a wry wit with himself. He checks off all the boxes of, like, your typical hockey man coach, and he seems like a pretty decent guy. I just don't understand how people think that his handling of, of all of these young guys and his handling of the vets is really sensible. He absolutely punishes the kids, but all of the guys who are struggling, the guys who need that extra push and incentive, aren't getting it. I mean, Shifley and Wheeler are just kind of drifting around and not really contributing in, at the level that they need to. That a guy like Ehlers is immediately punished and called out while those dudes have gotten away with their poor play for weeks is just baffling to me. But, you know, it is what it is. Tomorrow is the NHL trade deadline, and we're going to find out if Winnipeg has any plan whatsoever to fix this team and get us back on track. Hopefully the Jets do something. Otherwise, I'm just kind of throwing my hands up and giving up, because that's seemingly what the Jets have done. Thanks everyone for listening. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Be sure to hit me with any responses or hot takes if you've got them. Have a great evening, and go Jets go!